Welcome to the next episode of the Quizmakers. Today, our guest is Robin Collar. Robin is the CEO and founder of Overmore Group, a group of companies focused on lead generation, lead processing. And we're going to talk a little bit today about how to generate leads and the importance of good quality leads. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Boris. Nice to see you again. Yeah, you mentioned CQ again. I probably should do a little, you know, intro beyond just your title. So Robin and I, we worked together more than 10 years ago, probably. We'll just call it a decade ago. Um, ten. When I was uh, running Tickle, Tickle was one of the, the biggest websites actually in the world. Number 27 in terms of traffic, we're doing quizzes, but we, we did our own quizzes, unlike Riddle, which I'm running now, where we just have a quiz builder. And Robin worked with us on lead generation. Even back then, quizzes were amazing for leads, right, Robin? We made some good business. Uh, it's, been my, it's been my career since, yeah. You took that idea of generating leads from quizzes a lot further, right? Why don't you give us the quick backstory of Overmore Group? what you do today and how you work with leads and your large selection of clients ranging, I think, from BMW to Bentley, Intel, and many, many blue chip names. Yeah. Well, it did all start with Tickle, Boris. So Tickle was a fantastic quiz site, and uh, there was an opportunity to put a lead generation capability into the user journey, I guess. And so we built uh, originally uh, a piece of software to capture and deliver data coming off the back of quizzes. And we still own and operate that software today. So we spent 12 years building that up and, and making it a real a real platform, a, a real system for, uh, for trading data. But the quizzes themselves, I think, lend themselves very well to, to lead generation. They relax people, they, they were subject relevant, and the, the lead generation part seemed like a natural, I think, a, a natural step within it. So uh, over the last 12 years, we've branched out. We have a business that helps advertisers purchase leads from various different publishers on the World Wide Web. And you've mentioned a couple of them, and BMW, and uh, there's Vodafone, and Bentley, etc. We're very strong in automotive and technology and telecoms. But we've also built and operated some of our own our own websites to generate leads. So the, the business... Uh, I, I suppose that we've built on the back of learning about lead gen and quizzes is is quite broad reaching. They're proud to be working for clients like BMW, Bentley, uh, Vodafone. We're strong with DocuSign and Adobe. Uh, not that they all use quiz or competition sources. Quite a lot use uh, different, you know, different lead generation tactics and techniques. And we now work across different uh, types of publishers uh, as well. But it did, it did, and it's interesting just to catch up with you. I suppose it, it all started with quizzes, and now there's about a twenty million dollar business. So, it's, so you can generate extreme value uh, from from lead generation. If you were to pit lead generation and lead forms against banner ads in today's space. So many of our no competition, <laughs> no competition. Don't even ask the rest of the question. Um, I think it's probably worth just to, just to help you and any, anybody who's listening to take that direction. When I met you and we were selling banners and we also sold leads on the back of quizzes, my average order value in my business, the average booking was about 3000 uh, pounds, maybe $5,000. 
the moment we started doing lead generation business, I would say the average order value was five times bigger than that. And then the other key metric that I think is critical for anybody is is rebookings. The average rebooking, the average uh, deal that we did probably just repeated 90% of the time it went into a into from a quarterly campaign to a six-month or a 12-month program, whereas banner campaigns were, were tactical. They were on-off lead generation campaigns just repeated and repeated. So I don't know if that's where you were going with your question. I suppose I hope, I hope it was having interjected. Yes, I, I was going to lead down the road where Obviously, many large and, and blue chip customers that can afford agencies will will know that. But we also, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of listeners that run small to mid-sized businesses and they s- still spend a lot of their marketing budget on Facebook ads and on Google ads, simply driving traffic to a homepage. What what would you do in if you were them? If, in, oh, well, look, we have a business. To sell something. Yeah. Right. Well, in terms of um, in terms of traffic from Google and Facebook, we, we have a business activity where where we very much do drive traffic. So we spend quite a lot of money on pay per click and quite a lot of money on social. But the the objective for all of the money we spend, and it it is seven figures a year on our own sites, is to generate a registration. So perhaps it's pre lead, but it's a registered user explicitly consenting on our domain that we can have their personal data, their name, their email address, their telephone number, and that we're then permitted to send them relevant promotions around the topics or subjects that they've they've engaged on, subsequently turn those individuals and registered users into leads and, and customers. So I'd say it's fundamental, and actually I don't think search or social or pay-per-click in itself is is necessarily channel or tactic anymore. I think of it really as lead generation is an objective. Obtaining consent is an objective. And how you drive people to that consent moment is probably, I suppose, less relevant. Everybody will use a mix of tactics, but they need to know how much it costs them to generate a consented individual, a real person who gives them permission to to market to them. Good thing to mention consent and personal information. How much did the introduction of GDPR change your business? Did it drive out competition or did it make it harder for everybody? Oh, I think, uh, unfortunately, the short-term answer to that is the latter. I think it's made it harder for everybody. I, I think it's driven out some competition, but I don't think that at a commercial level, We've really seen the benefits of that as a from a competitive trading world. I think the costs probably out outweigh the the benefits, the the cons outweigh the pros. But I think that's still a short term point of view and, and an intermediary set intermediate setting. We're two years in. We haven't really seen any penalties for abuse or misuse of consent. We've seen penalties for. Um, if you like, the theft of data or the loss of data or lack of respect and the protection of data. But we haven't really seen too much in the in the field of consents and permissions and purposes. And when that comes, I think that'll separate the wheat from the chaff borrows. Okay, because everybody's personal hope was probably less spam, but that certainly has not happened, right? Mm, mm. 
And I think as as people who work as we do in, in, and have done for more than a decade in the space, yeah, there's, there's different hats we wear. We could wear a hat as a personal user of the World Wide Web, and we wish that the uh, the inbox wasn't so so bombarded. Uh, we can speak as professionals and, and look at the benefits uh, that regulations and, and good practices, actually best practice brings to anything we do, and they're different perspectives uh, for sure. And then I think we could look just generically or holistically at, at the web and say that, uh, you know, these are good changes. These are good changes that have come. But perhaps uh, the real baddie boys out there, the baddies and the bots, they need a, a proper spanking from a regulator before they really do run off and go somewhere else. Another topic I wanted to touch base on, and both of us, we've been working on this for more than a decade, as we mentioned, is just to focus on quality of leads. A lot of clients asked us just for sheer numbers, deliver 100,000 leads this week, and that's what you would get paid for. And we always tell people when they create a quiz and have a form to always make the form optional. Never force someone to enter data because that would, will always lead to bad data entered. And bad data, I think, is completely valueless, right? And you've taken this a lot further with your companies, have you? Yeah, but the, the premise is the same, Boris. I mean, you know, going back to consent, and I, and I don't I think we should get to value, but consent has to be freely given. And so as soon as you, you put a barrier up to somebody and tell them that they have to do something, you're going to introduce some mischief and some attempts to overcome those barriers without without effect and, and, and uh, freely given alternatives. So I don't think there's any point. And we certainly haven't seen any situation where uh, a, gate, a forced gateway produces better value. It does produce more volume, absolutely. But what we'll see is more noise. There will be a, a bad signal-to-noise ratio. People will increase the amount of nonsense they submit just to get past the form. And in fact, uh, you may not be aware of this, but Ryanair, the chief executive of Ryanair, um, recently said that if people are forced to give their address for two weeks of quarantine when they return to the UK, they'll probably say that it's number one Mickey Mouse Street Disneyland. And, and I think that's, you know, that, you're talking about border controls there of people coming coming back through passport control. Uh, but his point is a very good one, that if you're forced to give some information, you will very quickly assess the likelihood of getting into trouble for for providing nonsense and then make your mind up. So far better just, you know, invite users to freely and respectfully give their information over to you if if what you're putting in front of them is relevant. And in the end, it's it's value over volume. I think most of the volume sellers that I've met in the last 10 years or more, uh, they never think, they never really think about the costs involved in, in separating the wheat from the chaff. They don't think about it from the buy side point of view, which is that a buyer of leads and a salesman, a salesman would much rather make 10 phone calls and 10 sales than a thousand phone calls and 10 sales. Right. And that's obvious. So why not just respect the customer, respect the individual and try and separate the the nonsense, get rid of the nonsense. Nonsense must be a top five waste in lead generation. And if you introduce barriers, you'll get more nonsense. And always be honest what you're going to do, right? If, if you put a form on your website or at the end of a quiz, 
tell people what you're going to send them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, our experience in lead generation has been that if you are clear and you're fair with people, then the right people will signal clearly their interest and intentions towards an offer or an advert or an advertiser, and that will transfer to value. And again, going back to that point about separating the wheat from the chaff, if a salesman has to make a thousand phone calls to make 10 sales, that's a significant cost. So they'd much rather make in making 10 phone calls for 10 sales, they're saving 990 calls or 990 employee minutes or hours or however long it takes to go through that call. So you also have to factor in the cost of the cost of noise. And perhaps a good analogy for everybody listening to a, a podcast in 2020 is that there's probably very little background noise and hiss as there was on a gramophone record or a tape cassette uh, when we were kids growing up. So signal to noise ratio is something that all lead generators should think long and hard about. And they really should be thinking about trying to achieve 90, 98, 99% plus signal. Awesome. And um, as we mentioned in, in all our podcasts, uh, quizzes have to be short and sweet and to the point. Uh, so is our podcast. So to finish off, I'd love to get a number out of you. People always ask us how they compare. And we tell them, you know, pe people like Shopify, who we had on this podcast a few episodes back, they tell us if they have a lead form that's optional um, with a skip button, they get over 30% uh, opt-in rate. Uh, we hear from others like the Chicago Bulls, they, they get 35 to 40% opt-in rate. What do you say, someone that doesn't want to do a quiz, that just puts a form on the website, what would be a really, really amazing number they can get for, you know, opt-in rate for a lead form? Oh, that's extremely difficult one to answer. But the, the percentages that you've talked about are extremely high. I, I would think that some of the better um, user journeys that we've seen would still not be at not be at twenty five percent. So if people want to know, do do quizzes engage users and put them in a positive frame of mind uh, to then uh, become leads and opt in? Then I think the answer to that's a resounding yes from what you from from the numbers you're sharing with me. But also that, and and maybe I'm not answering the question, but it but it makes sense. I mean, one of the things we found all those years ago at Tickle, one of the things we talked about when we were explaining. Uh, the, the journey and the opportunity to advertisers and they were engaging was that when you get somebody to do a quiz, they're leaning forward and they're actively engaged in the content and they are thinking and proacting and doing. So you've got a thinking, leaning forward, doing person on your page that's already got their hands on a mouse or a keyboard versus perhaps how we are right now for anybody who could see us, which is sitting back, reclining, hands back, having a chat. And and so um, they're in a good psychological, psychographical frame of mind so that they probably would engage at a higher rate, I think, over a, a normal surfing, consuming, reading visitor. And that perhaps is the strongest argument I could give you for putting questions in front of people is you'll get that lean forward engagement. And then after that, if you've got relevant lead generation on the back of it, it should do very well. So, so anybody on listening in, if you're, if you're getting 25% plus, that's fantastic. But I will give you a caveat if I may, 
because I think it's really important just to track those users right the way downstream to value and look at the value and not just the conversion rate value from one purchase or one change or one transaction, but the lifetime value of a record. I mean, one of the beautiful things about Tickle then and quizzes now and and good lead generation is that you know where and when you got the consent and you know what triggered that opt-in. And you can then follow a real person instead of a click or a cookie or some other kind of metadata. You're following a real person through a journey to an end, to a point at which they spend money with you or purchase or, uh, or sign up to an advertiser, uh, a, a partner offer. And you can track that all the way through. So that's really valuable because now you know what, now you know what works. Now you know what to do next. It's not just about the 20% or the 30% today. Awesome. Thank you. That was super helpful. Thank you so much, Robin. That's okay. Uh, put the links to your website in the show notes. So anyone interested in more professional lead gen and processing than we could ever provide at Riddle, uh, please reach out to Robin. He'll treat well, we could do it together. I'm sure we could like do it together. But no, thank you very much for having me and thanks.